This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. KYW Original Podcasts. Very difficult matchup Sunday for your Philadelphia Eagles. They're 1-3-1. The Baltimore Ravens are 4-1. They score a lot of points. They play excellent defense. This is not going to be easy. Uh, Ray Dininger is here to break down what will be a difficult matchup for the Birds. And they will be playing in front of some fans at Lincoln Financial Field. Uh, Ray, good morning. Thank you for the time. What's your reaction to the news that people will be in the seats for the first time this season at the Link? Well, um, I'm I'm happy for the folks that are going to get there because I know people have been looking forward to this. Um, you know, I'm I'm still very nervous about uh, about the pandemic. Uh, I mean, we we see the statistics about how the things are spiking. Uh, it does it's worrisome, but um, I, I'm sure that they can do this. I'm sure they can do this safely. I mean, it's a big big stadium, and if you're talking about, you know, maybe 5,500 to 6,000 people, I guess they could space them out and. Folks can come, but it'll be. I, I know the Eagles players said uh, after the game in Pittsburgh last week, even though it was just a handful of fans and a lot of them were Steelers fans, the players said it just felt good to come out of the tunnel and just hear real human voices instead of pre recorded. And they said they actually drew a little energy from that, and those were Steelers fans largely. So I would suspect if they come out the tunnel tomorrow at the link and they. Uh, and they hear the fans, the Philly, the Philly fans. That'll, that'll give them a little bit of a boost. And uh, look, they're going to need all the help they can get because they're they're playing a really good team here. Uh, oh, no doubt they're playing a good team, and we will definitely break down that difficult matchup in a few moments. But Ray, I want to get your thoughts on uh, the Jim Schwartz press conference this week, the, the weekly Tuesday press conference, where he was asked about that third and eight play that we discussed a lot on Monday against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, he was talking about how with their alignment that they were in they were trying to be aggressive and the Steelers ended up getting the better end of that call as the Eagles were trying to be aggressive in terms of a timeout he said that that was up to Doug and Doug doesn't usually like to call timeouts Doug before Jim Schwartz spoke uh 
confirmed that he didn't doesn't like to call timeouts in that type of situation. And then as far as like the players that are on, and I'm just generally speaking here, as far as the players on Jim Schwartz's defense, Schwartz said in terms of team building, he leaves that up to Doug and Howie Roseman. So with all those things in mind, Ray, what was your reaction to Jim Schwartz's press conference on Tuesday? Pretty much what I expected. Um, that uh, he's not going to uh, any questions about the the player evaluation and the and the roster building. I mean, he's go- he's going to defer to the general manager and the head coach. I mean, he's been a head coach in the NFL before, uh, and uh, all head coaches are a little protective of their territory, and they don't want assistant coaches, even coordinators, uh, publicly presuming that they're that they're picking the players or they're running the drafts and so forth. That's you're you're entering into a really touchy area when you do that. So Schwartz knows the politics of this. So he's he's not going to go there about it. He's just going to say, look, the team, the guys, you know, the general manager, Howie and Doug, they build the roster, they pick the players. Uh, but I think everybody pretty much knows that, that Jim has a lot to say about the guys that they draft and the guys they acquire, and he should. As a defensive coordinator, he should definitely have some input. So, um, I mean, it was it was. Uh, I, I think he was just sort of doing the best he could to deflect the heat of the moment, uh, because there was a lot of heat coming out of that game. I mean, they had uh, the Eagles' offense actually showed some life. And if they, had, if you had told me before that game that they were going to score 29 points against that Pittsburgh defense, I would have told you I think that they're going to win. Uh, they didn't. I mean, they got outscored by a Pittsburgh team that hadn't been really good offensively all year, uh, and. Uh, a lot of people are pointing their fingers at the defense, especially on that big third down play that put the game away. So Jim was doing what he could to kind of diffuse the situation, kind of protect his players. And uh, if there was any blame to go around, he was going to—he was willing to accept the blame himself. He's done that earlier this year. He did it after the Rams game, and he did it again this time. But you know, the, the public face of the, the public face of this is not really as important as what's on the field. And uh, the Eagles have some issues on their defense and. They're going to have to play certainly a lot better this week going up against a Baltimore team that uh, they haven't really exploded yet offensively, but yet they've managed to win games and win a lot of games by lopsided scores. Well, the Eagles, for as poor as the defense played on on Sunday against the Steelers this past Sunday, if they would have won the game, uh, Travis Fulgham, you couldn't have a more positive storyline to come out of a game that game, that loss in Travis Fulgham. And Travis Fulgham did so well that even in a week where everybody, all Eagles fans, were frustrated with Jim Schwartz, Travis Fulgham still caught a lot of headlines for that 10-catch performance. And I looked back at our my notes, Ray, and we did not discuss Travis Fulgham on Monday because there was just so much negativity about the defense after that loss to the Steelers. But Travis Fulgham has been sensational, and maybe I'm overstating it, but I'll use the word sensational through two games so far. What's been your thoughts on Travis Fulgham? Well, no, that's not overstating it at all. Um, I mean, for two games, he has been sensational. I mean, he made the winning touchdown catch in San Francisco uh, on a tough throw down the sideline, defender right on his shoulder. He caught the ball and scores the winning touchdown. That's a pretty sensational debut. And then followed it up last week uh, with with a 10-catch performance uh, against a very good Pittsburgh defense. And, you know, the the funny thing is I people now are asking the question, is Travis Fulgham for real? <laughs> and I don't, you know, we'll see. I mean, that, that can only be proven over time. But what really matters is that 
Carson Wentz believes that he's for real. I mean, that was pretty obvious with the with with the way he was throwing the ball last Sunday. And as long as the quarterback believes that the receiver's for real, that's really all that matters. Uh, and we've been waiting all year for Carson Wentz to kind of get untracked and play play in some kind of a rhythm and throw the ball accurately and throw the ball with authority. And he found himself. He found himself last Sunday, I thought, in, in stretches against the Steelers. That was his best full game of the year by far. And I think a big part of it was the fact that he developed this really good chemistry with Travis Fulgham that in any kind of a situation against any kind of coverage, he believed that this kid was going to get open and catch the ball. So, I mean, Travis Fulgham gave the whole offense a lift, but I think the biggest thing he did was he sort of began to give Carson Wentz a little bit of confidence in the pocket that, that, uh, that he now had a receiver that he could count on. And, you know, that's that where we go from here. Somebody, I've had somebody say to me this week that, you know, Travis Fulgham, I, I watch him and, you know, he, who he reminds me of? He reminds me of Mike Quick. <laughs> and I, I kind of said, oh, well, let's pump the brakes on that one a little bit, okay? Let's, let's not. He's got a long way to go before we start mentioning him in the same breath as an all time great like Mike Quick. But, uh, the fact of the matter is, for two weeks when he's had a chance to play, he has made a big difference. I wonder what Mike Quick's reaction would be to that. Um, <laughs> once Deshaun Jackson and Alshon Jeffrey return Ray, um, assuming that Travis Fulgham remains productive, what do you do at wide receiver? Well, I don't think, listen, the way this kid's playing right now, you can't take him off the field. So uh, he's going to have to keep playing. And, uh, you know, Greg Ward... Uh, has done a fine job in the slot. Um, if it's, we're probably still a ways away from Dallas Goddard coming back, so uh, the fact is they probably aren't going to use a lot of two tight end formation. So you'll probably be going with three wide receivers. So you can have Ward and you can have Fulgham. Then the question is, at that third wide receiver spot, do you want to bring one of the veteran guys back, or do you want to keep playing John Hightower, who's a who's a young player who needs the time and he needs the reps? My guess is that that's probably what they would do. They're not going to take Fulgham off the field. And I don't suspect that they're going to move him around a whole lot. I think they want him out there. I think they're going to continue to play Ward because he's been very good in the slot. So you go three wide receivers, maybe that other spot you bring back either Deshaun or you bring back Jeffrey, and you, they, they alternate snaps or they alternate reps with, with Hightower. But at this point with this offense, I mean, this kid's giving you a spark, so you're not taking him off the field. Oh, it's a superb story, you know, including the fact that he hasn't been playing football that long. He's only been playing, uh, according to a great column by Mike Sielski in The Inquirer, he's only been playing since 16, and, and it's, it shows that he actually has room for potential to even grow some more. So it's a really excellent story. Ray, you are the author of three Eagles encyclopedias, and this week I took the time to go back a half century of Eagles football year by year and I'm going to try to show off to you here to see if I, if I wrote, this, wrote this down correctly. But this is the first time the Eagles have had only one win after five games since 2011. And before that, you have to go back to 1999. And then before that, you go back to 1998, and that's the last time that the Eagles have had one win after six games. Uh, 1987, five games, 1985, five games, 1984, five games, 1982, which was a shortened season, six games, 1975, they were one and seven after eight games. It took nine games to win two games. And then they also, 
73-71, and we're at Mike McCormick stage here that they had only one win after six games. So in short, it has been a while since the Eagles have had a record like this at this point in the season. But are they as historically bad as those teams and those years that I just mentioned? Oh no, not no, 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 not not as bad as certain, not as bad as those those pre Vermeil teams of the seventies. No, uh, and the Marion Campbell years of the mid eighties. No, um, the last year of Ray Rhodes. Well, I mean, everybody remembers how bad that was. No, they're better than that. Which then, of course, led into the first year of Andy Reid, and they're better than that. So uh, yeah, I mean, those teams were genuinely bad teams. Uh, that really had no chance. Uh, I mean, you'd mention playoffs around those teams and people would laugh at you. Um, nobody's laughing at the Eagles in that respect. I mean, look, at 1-3-1, and one, nobody's happy about that. But the fact of the matter is, uh, I think, you know, in some ways I think they have trended up the last two weeks. They played better in San Francisco. They played better in Pittsburgh. Uh, and you have to always, you know, always have to apply the context of, the, of their division, which is really awful. I mean, at 1-3-1, and one, uh, they're they're still in the race, if you can call it a race. <laughs> uh, they're still in it, and um, you know they've got. Listen, this is a tough game, a very tough game. Baltimore is really a good team, one of the best teams in football, and I think it's a team that's certainly going to go to the playoffs, and as I think has a really good chance to go to the Super Bowl. Um, but if you get past this game, once they get past this game, even if they are at one four and one, you know the next three games they're finally going to get back to playing the other teams in the NFC East. They're going to play two games against the Giants. They're going to play a game against a beat up Cowboys team, uh, and they can they can find their way back to this. I mean, they it's not impossible even if they lose this game that they could find themselves back to four four and one after nine games and four four and one. You look like a dynasty in the current <laughs> NFC East. So I, I wouldn't say that uh, they're anywhere near as bad as some of those teams that you just mentioned. Some of those teams were, you know, they were one-win teams with no hope at all. The Eagles were a one-win team with some degree of hope and, and I think, I think better overall personnel. And a part of that hope is the NFC East. I think I saw um, the headline of a podcast somewhere of a, you do weekly, you do a bunch of spots on WIP during the week. And I saw from one of your interviews with the midday guys that they headlined that, that appearance that you, that you believe that the Eagles or whoever wins the NFC East can win with six victories. Is that true? Can the NFC East, the winner this season in 2020, go to the playoffs with six wins in your opinion? Yeah, it could happen. Uh, I mean, I wasn't necessarily saying that, that. I wasn't necessarily predicting that that's what would happen. Uh, but I think that look, if you look around, yeah, I think it could happen. I mean, the league wouldn't be happy about it, no. but that's that's just the you know, listen, that's just the the way things unfold. You yeah. know, that, and that and it's that kind of a year. I mean, you've got you know the Washington team. I don't think is going to get very much better. They've already changed quarterbacks, and they're kind of floundering. The Giants are they're winless at this point. Uh, the Cowboys have a good roster, but they're but they got a lot of injuries, and they just lost their quarterback. Um, and the Eagles are the Eagles right now. So I mean, it's it's a bad division, and nobody's suggesting, and I'm certainly not suggesting, that the winner of the NFC East is going to become a favorite to win the Super Bowl. But somebody's got to qualify. Uh, and looking down the road, it's what it's going to come down to really is who wins the games within the division. Because mm-hmm. I don't think and I don't think any of these teams are good enough to beat the teams from the other divisions. No. When they go outside the division, they're going to they're going to get they're going to get beat up. But they're they're all going to have to play each other at some point. 
So, you know, in that kind of intramural league that they've got for among themselves, uh, somebody's going to win those games, and the team that wins those games is going to, is going to advance and, and go into the playoffs. And, you know, that, might to- that total might not be more than six games. That's possible. How impressive are the Ravens and Lamar Jackson, and what, do you, what does it take to slow down Lamar? Well, it's uh, it's an interesting thing because Lamar uh, is has sort of slowed himself down a little bit. I mean, everybody remembers last year when he set a league record by rushing for 1,200 yards as a quarterback. We've never seen that before, uh, and uh, and he's, he sort of was revolutionizing the game. And as a result, that whole Ravens team just took off, and you know they wound up winning 14 games and uh, scored a ton of points and set rushing records. But this year they're they're a different kind of team. Now they're winning games. They're four and one, uh, but offensively they're much different. I mean Lamar Jackson isn't running the ball nearly as much. I mean last week, even though they had a easy win against Cincinnati, <clears throat> he only had two rushing attempts for three yards. Now um, he had a a knee injury, not a severe knee injury, but he had a knee injury that hampered him last week. He missed a couple of days of practice, and he really didn't look like himself in the game. Um, and he says he's better this week and he'll be fine. But the fact is, even if you look back at the games before that, he hasn't been running the ball nearly as much. Uh, and I guess that there must be some sort of a, a plan in place among the coaches there that, you know, they just don't want him running the ball as much as he did last year. They don't want to put him at that kind of risk. They don't want him taking that kind of punishment. So they're, they're trying to make him more of a conventional kind of quarterback. He's throwing the ball more. They're not having as many designed runs. He'll still scramble a little bit if he gets some pressure. But a lot of the real designed runs that they had last year that were very effective and really kind of became the identity of that whole offense, they're not going there right now. Uh, and so it'll be interesting to see what they show the Eagles and, and if they're going to change and evolve kind of as the season goes along. Because right now, uh, and Mark Ingram, the running back, said it this week. He said, right now we don't have an offensive identity. Hmm. Which was an inter- which was an interesting way of putting it because last year they sure did have an offensive identity and it was all about Lamar Jackson. Right now that hasn't been so. So even though they're sitting there at four and one and they have the highest point differential in the league, I mean they've outscored their opponents by by a ridiculous number. I mean they've outscored their opponents by seventy three points. So if you look at the, if you look at the stats, I mean you would think that this is a team that has no issues whatsoever. But if you look at the way they're playing right now offensively, and especially the way Lamar Jackson's playing, yeah, they're not clicking at all like they did last year. What are the key matchups Sunday? Well, I think you have to start with Lamar Jackson. Uh, Even even though he's a different kind of threat, even though to this point he's been a different kind of threat than he was last year, Um, and he's been a little bit easier to play against because he's not running the ball as much. As a defense, you just have to assume that to stop them, you, you have to stop him. That's kind of where it began. So the Eagles are going to have to go into this game assuming that they're going to get the full Lamar Jackson, that he's going to be healthy, he's going to be ready to go, and they're going to build in those running plays that are going to kind of um, make the offense take off. So uh, the Eagles' defense, uh, I guess they're probably going to try and attack this team the way everybody else has attacked the Ravens so far this year, which is just stack the box. Mm. You know, put eight, nine, put eight, nine guys in the box and just try and make sure that, that Lamar Jackson doesn't beat him by himself. Yeah, but I mean, if can you really do that? If you know, with, with your defensive back situation, I mean, we don't know now if Darius Slay is going to play. He's still in concussion protocol, and if he doesn't play, and you might not have Avante Maddox back, you know, who are your cornerbacks? You can't let them play. You can't, you can't put nine in the box if you don't trust your cornerbacks. 
So the Eagles are in a little bit of a personnel bind here. But in, in terms of the matchups, the key matchups, right there, that's where it starts. It starts with uh, Lamar Jackson and finding a way to not let him not let him beat you single-handed, which he's certainly capable of doing. All right, Ray, prediction time. Uh, I, I think the fans, as we discussed, are going to give the Eagles a boost. And because of that, I think it will be close and competitive early. But Baltimore has allowed more than 17 points only once this season, and that was in their one loss to Kansas City. Um, and I think that the Eagles' record this year, 1-3-1, and one, has been defined by back-breaking moments, whether it's... You know, Carson Wentz throwing a costly interception in the end zone or that third and eight play against the Steelers. Uh, They've been in games, most games, but it's the games have gone not their way because of specific moments. In their win against San Francisco, they won because of big plays that they made in key moments, even though the 49ers outgained them in pretty much every statistic. So because of that, and because the Ravens plus minus on turnovers is five and the Eagles plus minus on turnovers is six, I think it's going to be close, but I think it's going to be a blowout in the end. And I see the Ravens winning 30 to 17. What's your prediction and score? Oh, okay. Um, well, I think you hit on, I think you hit on uh, the most salient points there. Um, to me, there's a, there's a couple of things. The, number one is the, the Ravens' best receiver, their best receiving threat is, is tight end Mark Andrews, who's, uh, who since the start of last year has caught more touchdown passes than any receiver in football, tight end, wide receiver, doesn't matter. He's got 15 touchdown catches since the start of last season, which leads everybody. And all you, if you've watched the Eagles at all this year, you know the problem that they've had dealing with tight ends. Mm-hmm. So this week they're dealing with a really good one. So that's a bad matchup for the Eagles right there. Uh, and the other part of it is the turnover factor, which you mentioned. Uh, Baltimore Ravens right now are on a run where they have forced at least one turnover in uh, their, each of their last 18 games. It's the longest active streak in the league in terms of being an opportunistic defense, taking the ball away from the other team. And right now you have the Eagles who lead the league in turning the ball over. So that's a bad matchup. You have an opportunistic, fast, physical defense that pounces on mistakes, and you have a very mistake-prone Eagles offense. That doesn't look good uh, on its face. And you know the thing about the the Ravens is they're just they're just a very solid team. If you, if you look and try and find a weakness, you can't find one. You know the offense right now isn't clicking at full strength, but it's still very good. Uh, the defense is outstanding, and John, it's a John Harbaugh team, so you know the special teams are really good. Mm-hmm. So they're solid in every phase of the game, um, and they're a team that's really motivated because last year they were fourteen and two. And Harbaugh was coach of the year, and Jackson was player of the year, and and they got bumped out in the first round of the playoffs. They got upset, and I think that's really driving this team. I, I think they were very frustrated and angry with the way last year ended, and I think they've come into this year to prove a point, and I think they're on a mission. And right now, the Eagles are a team just trying to find themselves. You know, I think the Eagles are going to come out and they're going to play hard. I think the the home crowd, what there is of it, will give them a little inspiration. Uh, but I just think right now on paper and probably on the grass on Sunday, the Ravens are just a better team. So I think it's going to be close. I think it's going to stay close. Uh, but I, I, I think in the end, the Ravens are going to win, and I'm going to say 20-13. to 13. Ray has Baltimore winning 20-13 to 13 and the Eagles falling to 1-4-1 on the season. Ray, it's always a pleasure talking football with you, and I look forward to breaking down this game. Should be an interesting game. I'm looking forward to see how the Eagles match up against this good team. Uh, I'm looking forward to break it down, breaking it down with you Monday morning. Thank you for the time, as always, and have a wonderful weekend.
It was my pleasure, Dave. I'll talk to you on Monday. Talk to you Monday, Ray. Hall of Famer Ray Didinger of 94 WIP. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.